Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5 uh, while I get started here. Uh, when I was assigned this topic, Anchoring My Confidence, um, I thought this, is, this really is an exciting uh, topic uh, to deal with because we all face uh, trials and seminary has a way of just kind of multiplying them. I, I doubt there's anybody here that has the luxury of having just one problem. Um, they, they just, you know, they just kind of come in boatloads. And, and uh, we could have a subtitle for this. We could actually call it um, Lessons from God While Preparing for Ministry, uh, or How Do You Learn to Trust God Anyway? And I want to take just for a few moments at the beginning here to examine a, pedag- a pedagogical method of Jesus, who is a master teacher, of course. And it was fairly straightforward method of um, equipping his disciples, and it's not lost on modern-day professors either. The method is teaching and testing. And you ever notice how your professors seem uh, to do that? And one of my favorite examples of this is in John 5 and 6 in, in uh, Our Master's Life, as recorded by John here. And in John 5, if you'll uh, turn there, and I'm just going to make a couple of references to this first part about John 5 is about Jesus testing, uh, Jesus teaching. And in uh, chapter 5 here, Jesus has just healed the invalid man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were not happy campers with that. And um, they, were, uh, they were fussing at him for a lot of reasons, but down to verse 18 Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath but also that God, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. And that really put the frosting on their cake. They were not happy with this man coming along and saying that he is God. Well, Jesus launches into a discourse. I, I love the Gospel of John because of these discourses. And John comes along, or Jesus comes along here, and in verse 32, he's, he's going to establish by four witnesses that he is indeed God. And that means uh, the God who, has, who called Abraham, the God who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, Jesus is the God who did all of that. And he says in verse 33, ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth talking about uh, himself. Verse 36, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And in verse 37, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. And then verse uh, 39, he says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So he's saying, "There there are four witnesses I call here, about my deity, who I am. John the Baptist has demonstrated that. He's borne witness of me. And my works do that. And the Father has borne witness of me. You really didn't, you don't hear his voice, but the Father has borne witness of me. And the scriptures themselves bear witness of me. Now, if, if I were one of those disciples at that time coming off that, that discourse, I, I would have been pretty pumped, I think. I would have gotten in the huddle with the other disciples and, and, and talking to the Lord and saying, Jesus, that was beautiful. I loved the way you did that. It was open and shut. They could not say a thing. Did you see so-and-so back there? His jaw just dropped. I love it when you do that. 
And, um, and Jesus, he kind of takes all that in stride, and then we'll look in chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Now he's going to test them. They just heard an amazing discourse about who he is. And now he's going to give them the test. Did they get it? After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then verse 6, And this he said to prove him, the test. For he himself knew what he would do. You know, your, your professors know the answers. You know, but they ask you these questions to see if you know the answer. And so Jesus comes, uh, and, he, and, he, and he purposely comes to Philip, and he says, Philip, um, you know, how are we going to feed this crowd? Now, the implication was, you just saw who I was. Jehovah, remember? Jehovah? When people are hungry, what does Jehovah do? He feeds manna, the wilderness. And, and uh, but... Philip doesn't get that. He says, Lord, you know, 200 penny worth, you know, two-thirds of a year's wage is not enough to feed this crowd. And he bombs the test. And Andrew's out there sticking his nose in a little boy's lunchbox, and he comes back and he says, we have five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? And he bombs, of course. Now, Jesus is an amazing professor because he always arranges a retake, doesn't he? Have you ever faced a test from the Lord and failed it? And he just lets you take that over again because he wants you to get the answer. And so Jesus lines all of these guys up, 12 guys. They're 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. These are the 12 disciples and disciples here uh, up front. And he, and he lines up the 12 disciples and, and uh, he says, all right, now, you know, my imagination goes over, a little overactive sometimes, but just bear with me. So he says... Um, you know, empty out your satchel there, that little wicker basket. They, they had their iPhone and extra sandals and stuff like that. And empty that out. And they hold out their satchel, and he takes those five loaves and he two fishes, and he puts it, distributes to them. And then he says, now you go feed them. The test just got bumped up, didn't it? You know, if, if I was standing there in line, I, I think I would have, maybe I was standing by Andrew, and I would say with clenched teeth, He's not really serious, is he, Andrew? And then it dawns on us, he really is. And you have to go do what he says. And they, and they do. And to everybody's amazement, everybody is fed. And then, to make sure the 12 get it, he says, all right, now take your satchels and pick up the fragments, and everybody comes back with a full bucket. And Jesus is testing, he's teaching, and he's testing, and he's teaching, and testing. And the beauty that you and I have when Jesus is teaching and testing us is that it's an open book test, isn't it? The answers are all right here in this book. And it's kind of like those story problems in algebra. You know, this train is coming this fast, and this train is coming this fast, and a bee is going back and forth, and how long is it going to take him? You know, how many miles does a bee travel? I have no idea. You know, they put those little story problems in there, and then you've got to extrapolate from that what the principles are and do it. Did you know that's what Jesus does to us? The answers are in this book, folks. And it's open book, so you get to go back and restudy 
and find out what he said and what he's doing. I think I became most aware of that when uh, I was in training here as an undergraduate Bible major and Greek minor and then uh, theology major and uh, master's program. And God began showing me how much teaching and testing is just going to be a part of, of life. And I, I, I know some of you, I know some of you fairly well, I, I know some of your struggles, and they're not unlike the struggles that your professors have gone through. They're not unlike the struggles that I've gone through. And always God is teaching you something, and then he's going to force you to use it. And when you fail it, he lets you take it over again after you've seen all the red ink and the bad responses that you made. And I just want to share some things with you about how God did some of those things in my own life. I asked Sam Horn when he signed this topic, I said, this is anchoring my confidence. Is this supposed to be really personal? And he said, "Uh, sure can, the more personal you can make it. So I thought, well, okay, let, let me tell you about my struggles, about my teaching and the testing when I was in seminary. Um. I, I, some of you have heard parts of my, my testimony before, and I'll, I'll just hit the beginning of it real, real quickly. But I, I came to Bob Jones in, in a state of great rebellion. I was a real rebel uh, against God and my parents in high school, the last two years in particular. A lot of nights I didn't come home. I, I, um, I, I was getting in trouble and stealing and just a mess. And, uh, but in a weak moment, and I was a grief to my mom and dad. In a, in a weak moment, I had promised my parents I'd go to a Christian college for a year. I mean, I just I, I had to be really weak to give in to that, but I did. And because I didn't want to go back on that, I came to Bob Jones to do my one-year time here in this maximum security facility. And then when I was graduated, I was going to go do what I wanted again when I got paroled, or when I did, got done with my first year when I, and paroled, then I was going to go back home. Well, God began to work in my heart here in amazing ways my freshman year. Um, I had a roommate, uh, my, my uh, room group leader, at, uh, uh, they're called now, sat me down and he said, Berg, if you don't get right with God, you're going to get expelled. But if you do get right with God, he might use you someplace here at Bob Jones. And I said, no way. Man, one, one year and I'm going to blow this popcorn stand. I am not sticking around here. And my attitude was just really crummy. I was a sneaky sinner, though. I wasn't an in-your-face kind of person. Um, but God began that freshman year, began really working with me through chapel and through my, my, my uh, prayer captain, my group leader, and, um, and really began softening my heart. And... Many things were happening. I, I, I surrendered a lot of areas of my life. I was really into into rock music at that time. Um, I was I had started and playing in a folk rock group. That's a genre that was kind of protest music back in the '60s, and that's when I was in high school. And um, so God began dealing with me about that here, and I really found that if I didn't bury myself in my Bible, my mind was was filled with other things. And, and God really helped with that um, through, through the scriptures. So toward the end of my freshman year was the premiere of um, Unusual Films' um, Flame in the Wind. And it's the story of the Spanish Inquisition and men and women being burned at the stake. 
remember sitting in Rodehaver, FMA hadn't been built yet, sitting in Rodehaver and thinking, these men and women are dying for Jesus, and I haven't even been willing to live for him. I went back at the invitation in the green room. I got down on my knees, and I said, God, I I don't know what has been so wrong with me. I I don't know if it's because I haven't even been saved or been saved and lost uh, away from you. I, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. I'm coming home. That was a really huge step in the beginning of some wonderful things in my life. That was May 28, 1973. <clears throat> School went until May and early June in those days. And, um, and within two weeks, I was going out on a ministry team. That was a strange, you may think that's really strange, this rebel going out on the team. Well, I, I told you I was a sneaky sinner. And, um, but I, I, was a, I was an alternate tenor for this mixed ensemble. And the tenor got into some discipline trouble, and he couldn't go. So at the last minute, I got put in that and uh, traveled that summer. And that was, a, that was a wonderful thing for me because I had a lot of wonderful time. Uh, we traveled 22,000 miles that summer in the car. I, 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 it was one of those old land yachts, you know, big Buick station wagons of those days. <clears throat> and I would read my Bible for one to two hours a day. I remember thinking, God, I am such a fool. I have to know your wisdom. And hours and hours I spent that summer reading my Bible, and God transformed me by the renewing of my mind. It was his word that did that. Another fascinating thing happened that summer is that I, I, I learned to really appreciate the soprano on that group, who was Patty Zeller. And so when we came back, we started dating. Now, this was my sophomore year, her junior year. She was a year ahead of me. We started dating, and a year later, we were engaged. Now, back in those days, we got married a whole lot earlier than folks do today. Most of my people I graduated from high school got married right out of high school. Very few of us went on to college. Those of us who went on to college got married right after college. So I'm, 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 I'm thinking, how can I have, make this thing happen here right after college? And so... Um, we dated for that year, and that was a phenomenal year of teaching. God had done some marvelous things in all of our lives on the ministry team, and we learned to love our Bibles on that team. So when Patty and I were dating, a lot of our time was spent, we were reading our Bibles together. We were reading books about the Bible together. We were memorizing the Bible together. And it became pretty clear to us, God had called me to, the, uh, to, to, to full-time service when I was eight years old, but I fought that like crazy. And um, so I knew if I got right with God, I'm going to be in ministry somehow. But I had no idea what. So I majored in Bible because whatever ministry is, you've got to use your Bible. So I majored in Bible. And there was no software. And I thought, well, if I ever have to teach it, I need to know Greek. So I minored in Greek because there's no Bible software. There was no computers yet. Al Gore hadn't invented the Internet. I mean, it was <laughs> very primitive time. <clears throat> but we, 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 we look, we're looking at the mission field and um, how God might use us on, on the mission field and really begin praying and looking at opportunities and, and that sort of thing. And then the, hu- the biggest, and God was teaching us. We grew so much those two years spiritually. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the goal, the verse that drove that was 1 John 1.3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we thought the best way we can help each other is just declare to one another what we're seeing and hearing from God. 
Well, then the first test came, and we were getting married May 31st, 1973. And uh, I think I said the film was 73, the film was 71. Um, and Bible con- that was in May 31st, we were going to get married. Bible conference was March. And the first real test of our relationship came because I felt strongly... We had saved everything for our wedding, uh, um, for the, the money to pay for the wedding. Weddings weren't big back then. It was cake, nuts, and punch. I mean, you know, who needs to pay for other people to eat? They, they have a home, don't they? <laughs> you know, so, so we paid a little bit. I, we, ha- we had that. But we had, we had saved up. I was doing some extra jobs. We had saved up money to go to, um, uh, to pay for our wedding because our parents couldn't help out with it and, and uh, to pay off my school bill and to get... Um, uh, first month's rent and all of that. And, and uh, whether it's from the Lord or my imagination, I, I don't know, but it was a test. And I felt strongly impressed of the Lord for Bible conferences. We were praying about that. But we need to give up everything we save for that Bible conference offering. And you say, that's lunacy. I thought so too. And I didn't want to tell Patty. I, I, I just, I was, I was praying and, 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 and I, I finally had to come to a point where I said, Lord, I, I'm going to serve you all of my life. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. So I broached it with Patty, and I thought, you know, she's, what? You know, I thought you wanted to marry me. And, and, and instead she said, Jim, God has been really impressing that on me as well. And I didn't want to talk to you about it, but I think we've got to do it. So we went to the bank, and we drawed everything and put it in Bible conference offering. I have no idea what the offering was for. And we didn't tell anybody because we got a wedding coming up in two months. And our families can't help out with this. And this is before credit cards. You know, there was no plastic. And by the time our wedding came up, men and women, God had resupplied every bit of that. And, and our, our, our theme verse for our relationship was Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And God resupplied all of that. And he taught us that not only is he the God of initial supply, but he's the God of resupply. Whatever you give to him and his kingdom, he knows how to take care of you. He's got a bigger shovel than you do. Whatever you shovel out, his, his shovel's bigger. And I don't mean we got rich off that. We didn't at all, but we had our daily bread. But then, So we're married now, and Patty just graduated, and she is, a, she is teaching English here on... on, on and back in those days, some of who've been around here well remember the salaries were really, really low, and I mean the cash flow was almost zip. We we had everything we needed. We ate in the dining common. We went to barge for our medical needs, and we had everything we needed. But there just wasn't a lot to play with. And um, so she was teaching full time. I was working at the information desk as a senior. I'm still finishing up. And uh, I was earning subminimal wages, which, which labor laws used to allow colleges to pay students about 65% of the minimum wage for their labor. And so I'm not earning a lot of cash. Um, and, we, and, and a lot of tests came as a result of that. You know, when you're married, you think, I, you know, when you're first married, you think, we don't need, each, we don't need anything, we don't need, food, we, we don't need fancy furniture, big apartment, we just have each other. And, and that's true, except you do have to eat. Um, and, there were, and, and we continued to grow and read our Bibles. We got up every morning, we read our Bibles together, and we had our own personal time. 
And God anchored our confidence in who he was and what his word said. And there were times like some of you where we didn't have food. We were down to half a loaf of bread and a couple of bullion cubes. And Patty would take some Crisco and put salt in it to make it kind of like butter. And we would toast the bread and not toast it for variety, you know, we... And, and sometimes dip it in. The, and, and, and that went on for several days. And I, I don't say that to talk about good old days. Those were not good old days when you're in them. But every day sitting down and thanking God for that piece of bread and saying, God, you told us if we would seek you first in your kingdom, you would supply our needs. And we trust you. And I remember I was working as, as some extra jobs on Saturdays with Dr. Fremont and Dr. Liverman, who were deans here and had some apartments that they rented out to students. And I was doing handyman stuff, hanging up curtain rods and things like that. And I watched when I was, I was in a second floor apartment looking, uh, working on a curtain rod and saw Dr. Fremont down in the parking lot. And a lady drove up who was a tenant, and she had this big station wagon. She opened the, the gate in the back, and there were just big grocery bags. And they were filled with produce from her off-site garden, and she unloaded those to Dr. Fremont. And I thought, oh, wow. And when I got done with the day, I went down and telling Dr. Fremont what accomplished and what, what needed to be done yet. He said, by the way, this lady gave me a whole bunch of grocery bags and, uh, of, of, of produce, and he said, we have our own garden. And he said, I, I, I can always find somebody to give them away to. Would, could you use any food? And I said, Oh, yes, sir. And we were in, we were in hog heaven for uh, several days on that. And I, I just want to tell you that, that, that. And time after time, we saw God provide. And another time when we ran out of food, Patty's old society came to the door with grocery bags and said, we were, we were just thinking about you the other day and haven't seen much of you. And we just thought, well, we, we want to do some a food you know, shower or something for you. And, and, of course, these are college kids. They're going out and they're buying pop. We don't eat Pop-Tarts. That's way too expensive. I mean, they had all these fancy little foods. But it was a, man, it was a wonderful thing. All I'm saying is if you're going to serve God, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you must expect to be tested. But you better be studying the text before the tests come up. Seriously studying the text. And God just continued to, to uh, provide, and, and uh, as, as we learned uh, that first summer when we, we didn't have this food kind of time, Patty got really sick, uh, kind of a bronchitis thing. I'd had bronchitis, and hers just wasn't going away. And we didn't have, we didn't have money to go to the doctor, but finally it got to a point where I realized, you know, i got to do the responsible thing and get her to a doctor. So... We were going to come over to Barge. Barge had the doctor over here at that time. And I and, uh, got in the car, got Patty in the car, and I got in the car, and it wouldn't start. I've been accused of being a Christian scientist sometimes. I just thought I had a car. You, know, uh, um, you put gas in it like a car, and you pay insurance on it like a car, but it doesn't do what cars do, you know, very much. And I was, I was getting quite angry, fearful for my wife, and angry that God was making this test so hard. Kind of blame the teacher, you know, when the test seems too hard. 
So I called Patty's mother who lived in town, and we didn't let her know what was going on. Or she, she was a widow, and she didn't have the resources to help anyway, although she invited us over every Thursday night, and we ate wonderful meals on Thursday night. I think that's how we got through is Thursday nights. I remember she came over and got Patty, took her to Barge, and I went in and got down on my knees, and I fussed at God. I said, God, this is not right. You won't, even le- you, you won't even let my car work so that I can take my wife to the doctor to spend money I don't have. This just isn't right. Now, if you ever fuss at God like that, like Moses did, you have to hang around long enough for him to bring you back to reality and correct it all. And I opened my Bible again. God had taught us when there's trouble, you go to your Bible. This is your anchor. God is shows himself in this word. And I was in Luke 22, and Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that when you are converted, that I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and that when you're converted, when you've got a change of heart about this, you will be able to strengthen others also. And what the right answer for a test is always, that's okay, Lord. I trust you. That's the right answer on all of them. Yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. I surrender, Lord. I actually, after I finished my devotions, I went out to try to start the car, and it started. God arranges things uh, somehow. Um, to, because he wants, he wants to teach us. And I, I could just tell you time after time while we were in seminary then how God just did so many wonderful things. When, and, and, and isn't it true? Don't you find this experience that God brings people to you for help when you're, when you're fresh out of food? Uh, like that, uh, that widow of Zarephath. Elijah, she's gathering sticks to die. To, to bake this food, what's left, and die. And Elijah says, feed me first. And, and people constantly come to you in ministry and in friendship, and they want help, and you don't feel like you've got any energy or anything left to give or any answers. But then you go to God, and you say, God, a neighbor has come for food, and I don't have any. Please give me food for my neighbor. And he does, but it's going to be found in your Bible. You have to know your Bible. And more importantly, you have to know the God the Bible reveals. I'll tell you one other thing. About that time, I think it was about in this time, when I'd heard a message, and I'm not sure by whom. It was a, it was a cassette tape uh, I had borrowed from somebody. That was, before, that was cassette tapes were newfangled stuff. And, and it was a message I, I, where somebody said, you're not ready to live until you know what you want written on your tombstone. And I'm just a crazy enough guy to go back to the desk at, at our house and, and write out and, and take a sheet of paper and draw a crude tombstone. And I left that on the desk and I thought, you know, I, I have to know how God wants this. What, what, is, what is well done all about in the end? And I was searching the scriptures as I was reading in my daily reading and in seminary classes. And 
came to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me. And I thought, that's it. It's, it's as if God, by illumination, took that verse right off the pages and put it in neon lights. And I thought, that's it. And I wrote on that piece of paper, here lies a man who knew God. I thought, there's nothing better I can live for than to know God. He said so himself. And that elevated Patty's and my search for God to a new level. It wasn't just knowing our Bibles. It was knowing the God who's in this Bible in a fresh way. I went up to the bookstore, and we didn't have much money, but I thought, I... I need some help on this. And I found this little book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. The price was $1 uh, back in those days. And I wore this book out. The subtitle is The Attributes of God, Their Meaning in the Christian Life. What does it mean that God is self-sufficient and self-existent and eternal and infinite and immutable and omniscient, and wise, and what does that mean for me anyway every day of the world? And, and, and the knowledge of God has become our anchor. Now, I, I don't pass all the tests. I don't. I flunk about as many as I pass, but I get a retake. The retakes come faster. I, at least when I got the wrong answer, it's within minutes usually that I know that was the wrong answer. And, and God helps with that. But my, 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 encourage, my encouragement to you is that while you're in seminary, you have to know your Bible, but you have to know the God of this Bible through his Bible. And it's a personal search. You go here looking for God, and he won't disappoint you. And, and he is the one who becomes the anchor of your soul. He's the one you run to. And you find yourself running to him faster and faster instead of as a last resort. And that's just called Christian growth, where you know where the answer lies. You don't know what it is, but you know who has it. And you know where you're going to find it. You're going to find it in your Bible, and you better get your nose in your Bible, and you better beg God to show you himself and what he wants you to do. And seminary is a great time to learn that. You need to learn that by the time you get out of here. Life comes fast. You think it's fast now, and you hear everybody say that. It's, you know, you're never going you're, you're gonna to be busy. You think you're busy now? Nobody's trying to downplay that. But the reality is, I mean, you, you look back at, at, at high school students, do you not, and say, you think college was You think classes were hard? God knows what we need, and he takes us on, and he keeps developing us. But he has to increase the intensity of the subject matter I mean, that's what we do in every grade level. It gets harder. And God does that for us, too. And what is he doing? He's trying to teach us the sufficiency of him. He is our God. He is our anchor. Let's talk to him. Father in heaven, what a great God you are. There is none like you in heaven above or upon the earth beneath. You are the one who does know all the end from the beginning. You know what we are going to face this afternoon. 
And you know what we're going to face tomorrow. You know what our families are struggling with, what our children might be struggling with, what our, what our bodies are struggling with health-wise. You know what our finances are. You know what our academic limitations are. You know what our work schedule is. You know all of these things. And you're arranging all of these so that we, your people, could know who you are and learn to trust you more. Lord, may you take these men and women and so equip them to know you and to serve you and to love you that others would know that you are a worthy God by their obedience to you and their trust in you through the tests. We long for the day. Father, when we will see your son Jesus and we will see him as he is and we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And because of that hope, we, we ask you to help us purify our hearts and deal with our double-mindedness and help us to live wholeheartedly for you, the only God who's worthy of our lives. We pray these things in the name of your dear son, Jesus, whom we love. Amen.